Hello, everybody, and welcome to the eighth edition of the Fundamentals Podcast. Uh, Jeff and I are here once again, excited to get into the book of Hebrews chapter eight today. Uh, but before we do that, Jeff, how are you doing on this Ascension Day? Doing great. Uh, just ready to jump into God's word, celebrate the Ascension some more and talk about some more important uh, text. Yeah, absolutely. It's just kind of fun to think about, man. What if what if you were actually there in that moment when Jesus ascended and you're kind of like looking up and it's so bright and then suddenly they appear and are chatting with you about <laughs> about it and that would just be nuts. It's just such a cool experience that he's been lifted high and again, we kind of it's perfect that it's it's today and we're talking about chapter 8. We didn't plan this, but kind of a cool little uh God working there as we'll kind of see yeah. the ascension in today's uh scripture. Uh, but just again, you see that su supremacy of Christ, even in this day where he is raised to the level where he ought to be. Uh, and we get to celebrate at that. And that's what we've really read in different ways throughout the first seven chapters of Hebrews and uh, more to come. Um, yeah, I really love the Ascension text from Acts, where at the end it says uh, the angels show up and they say, why are you staring up into heaven as if it's a strange thing to ogle at a guy that just floated away? That's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of an unfair question, though it always makes me laugh whenever I hear it. Why Absolutely. are you looking at the guy flying? Like, why aren't you looking at the guy flying? Yeah. <laughs> We're the rational ones here. Oh, man, that's true. That's true. All right. So let's jump into this. Chapter 8, the book of Hebrews. And uh, once again, we are using the ESV translation. Uh, and so we start off here with chapter 8, verse 1, and it says this. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Yeah, uh, pretty straightforward. He's saying we're not just kind of talking for the sake of talking. We, we have everything that we had hoped we would have. I mean, Jesus is, this isn't just kind of a theoretical, like, what if there was a guy like this? What if there was a guy like who was better than Moses and better than Joshua and better than the old covenant? The author is saying, we have this new thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it's beyond even our wildest dreams. I don't think any of us could have thought of something as good and as gracious as Jesus or God's plan through Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we're celebrating on the Ascension Day is that Jesus completed his earthly ministry. And it is such a weird, strange way for God to do things. And yet it's still so good. And it's, I think sometimes when we read the story of Jesus's life, death and, and resurrection, we can just walk away saying like, how does this make any sense? Why did God do things this way? It seems so backwards and strange. And I, I, I think it's normal to feel that way because God is, a strange guy to our <laughs> understanding. We, we can't really wrap our, our heads around him. Yeah. It's just completely beyond anything that we can even try to comprehend. And I love uh, the language here because you think about it, the, the human beings that were uh, privileged enough to have the, to be in the presence of God. You think about Isaiah in the throne room, you think about kind of his experience where he, I mean, kind of collapses and instantly just is overcome by just how unworthy he is to remotely be in that place. And, He's a man of unclean lips, all that kind of thing that he goes through. That's kind of his experience, which God extends grace in that time and to allow him to be there. Um, so you see that that's kind of the human experience in the presence of God. Jesus, on the other hand, is, is seated at the right hand of the throne uh, where that that's where he 
belongs. That that is his place. Again, so you see this supremacy of Christ that is just drilled home and you just can't get away from it. And I think there's a real intentionality behind the author continually hitting this point home uh, to just see that these other guys are great, but they're not Jesus. Yeah. And that you have the kind of that duality of language, the high priest who serves one role and the throne representing the kingship of Jesus. And that's, that's what the ascension affirms is that he is king. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven, you imagine it like a conquering king returning home. And that's probably what heaven looked like. It was a celebration that the king who was sent on a mission came back and he was victorious. And so when it, when it says he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, it's not saying he's like, well, he is God's right-hand guy, but that's, it's an equal position of authority. He acts with the fullness of authority that God the Father acts with. So it's, mm. it really is the celebration of a king and his army coming home in victory. Mm. So taking a look at uh, verse 2 here. Uh, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Yeah, so the idea here is that there were a lot of different holy places, holy markers in the history of Israel, and there were a lot of different men that served in those varying places. Uh, people like Moses, Aaron, Joshua, all throughout history of Israel, there are men that served to enter into the holy places that were made holy for the sake of the glory of God. So you have places like uh, Sinai, where Moses would go up and he would... the glory of God, the cloud would surround the mountain and, and Moses would meet with God. And then you have the tabernacle, which Israel would carry with and the high priest would enter into the tabernacle and they would see the presence of God descend upon the tabernacle. You have the temple in Jerusalem and, and we see in Ezekiel's prophecy that God's spirit dwells in the temple like this. Uh, it's described kind of like a spirit or a smoke. And then at, some, at one point we see the spirit of God actually leave the temple and that's important in that prophecy and then you have the reconstructed temple after the exile which again it's it's uh this is after god has forgiven the people of israel for breaking covenant he comes back and he dwells with them once again and then all this is really just kind of typology they're they're shadows of what it looks like when the fullness of god's glory dwells in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ, and, and what that means for us, because he is this new tabernacle where the glory of the Lord is always dwelling. It's not, it's not like the mountain where the glory comes and it goes, or the tabernacle where it's there and then it's not there. It, it's a constant dwelling. The glory of God is always in the person of Jesus Christ. So it's a new, greater tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you just even think again, you see that clear comparison, like, it's not saying man can't build anything. That's what man builds can have value, but what God builds has eternal value. And you kind of see that, that difference uh, there. I mean, I had, the, I had the chance to, to join a mission team. We went to Costa Rica and had the chance to, to build a home for, for someone in need there. And it was an incredible week getting to do that. That home is definitely an extreme upgrade to, to where that family was living. And uh, God was doing some awesome things throughout that week. Uh, but we just walked away reminded and, and we had the time to share with that family God's word. Because you think about too, what, what we built as men, we'll, we'll help, we'll provide shelter, but that thing's going to weather and, and break down. Uh, but what we really want to share with them is that love that they have in Jesus Christ. And with that connecting hold, that's truly what they'll be able to uh, hold on to. Yeah. And you, 
You also get this language of the old covenant and the relation to uh, Sinai because Moses uh, ascends up um, Sinai and he comes back down with the old covenant and, and he declares it to all the people. And now this new covenant takes place with Jesus kind of the ambassador of the people ascending to Zion. And it's there that this new greater covenant is taking place. And then um, Jesus is, as he is in heaven and as he intercedes for us as a high priest, he is not just experiencing a glimpse or a fraction of God's glory. He's experiencing the fullness of God's holy dwelling place. So it's, mm. it's kind of hard to describe everything that this text is saying because there's so many layers to it. Absolutely. That's what kind of makes it fun to explore. Uh, so let's keep doing that. Let's look at, uh, we're going to do a little chunk here with verses three, four, and five. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Yeah, so verse 4 is more or less saying that what the whole previous chapter was saying before, in terms of an earthly qualification of the Mosaic covenant, Jesus did not fit the description of a high priest because he wasn't from Aaron's line. Um, but that's according to the Mosaic order. And it, it's saying this idea of where Moses got the, the proceedings of the old covenant and the priesthood and, and the way the rituals and the sacrifices, the way thing, those things were done, it, it's because he saw a glimpse of how things operate in the heavenly realm. So he's not just coming up with these things idly and, and creating things just for his own pleasure. He's taking the things which God revealed to him on Sinai while he was in God's glory, and he is, he is building constructs so that the people can uh, operate in a sense in the way that the heavenly realm operates. So Moses is getting a glimpse of the way things work into eternity. And so really he's getting a glimpse of how Jesus is that great intercessor, how Jesus is that great mediator. So Moses only got a fraction of it and what he gave to the people was a good thing and God desired that, but it doesn't, it doesn't encapture the whole picture is what kind of these verses three through five are saying. Yeah, and I just kind of think of that idea of, of get, catching a glimpse of something, a, a deeper understanding. Uh, again, this might be the last time I reference it. I don't know if it will be, but the Michael Jordan documentary that Jeff and I got to watch together, and hopefully you've enjoyed it as well. But you think about this where you may have seen Michael play, and that's, that's really cool. And then you kind of watch this uh, documentary, and you kind of get that glimpse of what his life was like and that behind the scenes. So you have definitely more of an idea than you did before that. However, even still with the 10 part docu documentary series, it's still a glimpse. You, you weren't necessarily there. You didn't get to experience and see it all. You weren't that person. So just kind of in that same sort of vein, you get a glimpse, a deeper understanding that you're able to do some things with, but it's not the same as being MJ in this, I guess, uh, analogy. Yeah. Or you think about um, the temple, the first temple, like we have ideas of what it looked like, but they're only a glimpse because we don't actually have the ability to see it in its fullness. And, and even that, these are things built by man. And so by the restrictions of our own mortality, they crumble away eventually. So, and scripture said, 
says that God's word remains forever. And so the, the secrets, the mysteries of God remain forever, even in our limited ability to express them. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and yeah, you just think about that too. I, like when you're in a different realm where there are things that we haven't experienced that we don't know, and then you're trying to come back and describe them. It's, it's almost like seeing a color you've never seen before uh, and then trying to come back and, and describe it. And, and you have, you have no words. And, and Jeff is chuckling because I am, I am colorblind and look forward to it's the like me trying to describe red to Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, the, the example I kind of wrote down is um, you think about a locked room with a keyhole. You can glimpse through the keyhole and you can see uh, fragments or little pictures of the larger picture, but you don't get the full idea until someone actually unlocks the door and lets you into what was previously a locked room. So that's what the old covenant was. It was looking through the peephole or, or the keyhole of the greater picture that God had planned. You've got so Christ some, is, is the key that opens up that doorway. That analogy does work really well, but it does make me think that you got some old school doors out there in Phoenix, Jeff. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah, but a I, very I, old kind of keyhole. Yeah. No, I watch you, a lot of detective movies. I like that ending part too, where Jesus is that key that actually opens the door. That, I mean, that does work, work out really well. I like that. Right. Uh, so let's, let's continue here with uh, verse six. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it enacted on better promises. Yeah, you think about the role of a mediator. It's when you have two parties that are uh, either not united or they are fundamentally opposed to each other, and a mediator comes in and kinds of kind of brings them together. And that's really what Christ did, just as Moses mediated between the people of Israel and Yahweh. So Jesus mediates between all the people of the world and Yahweh. So he's bringing together two parties that were once at odds with each other. And he does that by the mediation of his sacrifice, which is his Mm -hmm. life, his death, his resurrection. And now he is ascending and he is our constant mediator. He's always interceding between mankind and God. And, And so we know because Christ is our mediator, that the things we ask of God are heard and received and answered according to God's holy will. Mm-hmm. And then we see, uh, did you have something to say, Jack? No, you got it. You're on a roll, man. Yeah. And so we know that part of that mediation is that we receive the Holy spirit. And so by receiving the Holy spirit, we can know and believe and accept the truth of who Jesus is, the role that he plays in our forgiveness and our salvation. And we can know with certainty that we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Again, these aren't necessarily new things, but the author is kind of hammering at home. So what option do we have but to hammer at home with it? Well, uh, he I did it for a reason. I don't think he forgot that he already made this point, but he keeps making it and, and tweaks it just ever so slightly. Because again, the people that he's writing to would clearly understand this. And he's just trying to drill it home that Moses, again, he is awesome, but he ain't Jesus. Let's get this all figured out and actually fully understand. Because again, we come back to this idea that we want to be in awe of who God is, that we just are blown away that when we actually see him ascending, we're just in, in, in awe and reverence of just how amazing that is and how that is so far beyond us and how great, how vast, how deep. It's just this kind of wanting to, to really kind of break through perhaps some of that kind of crust or glaze that can come over and kind of experience it each day kind of new and really drive that home. And, um, 
I think it's, it's, it's tough to do because sometimes when you're repeating yourself so much, you, you feel foolish yourself, but uh, clearly the author of Hebrews uh, deemed it necessary and it's God inspired. So it's, it's worth our time. Yeah. So looking Verses at seven, yeah, seven and eight here. We want to do them together. I think seven, eight and nine. Uh, okay. Seven, eight, nine. Got it. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bringing them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Yeah, so the first covenant had its faults, but that's not to say that God is faulty. Um, note that what verse eight says, for he finds fault with them, not the other way around. So it's, it's faulty on one end, right? The, the people of Israel, this whole story of the Old Testament is God making promises, building a relationship with his people and his people constantly throwing it out the window to pursue other things. And then, and then God going to extreme ends to bring them back into relationship with him. So God is not at fault for the old covenant. In fact, he's, he is the only reason why it succeeded in the long run. Because if Jesus doesn't intercede, then the old covenant means nothing. It, it just withers away. Mm-hmm. And we see there, so there was a, a conditionality to the old covenant. And the phrasing is more or less, uh, if you obey my law, if you keep my words, and you worship me alone, then you will be my special portion, is what God says to him. And there are other promises in the Old Testament that are non-conditional, right? God says to Abraham, I will make a great people from you, and through you I will bless the nations of the world. So that's not, that is not conditional. It was going to come true whether or not, it was just going to come true. Let's just say that. Whereas this conditional covenant is saying, you will thrive, you will be blessed, you will be a special portion in the world when you obey my commands. And we see that regardless of the people's failed attempt to uphold the covenant, God still does deliver on the promises that he made. So it's, you can read this and you can think, well, did God make a faulty covenant? No, he didn't. He made a great covenant and he made sure that it came to fruition. Yeah. I kind of, as you were saying that I kind of think about this, like, I mean, if the bank is giving a loan, to somebody like that money's on full, like the bank has done their job. But if that person fails to make payments, then it's on them. So it's like, it's not like God's money was short. It was the people. And then we see how Jesus actually paid that debt that the people kind of brought on there. So it's, it's definitely not on his and he was 100 for 100 on his promises. Right. And so this isn't just, it's not like a tweak of the old system. What Jesus ushers in is a totally new law. It's a totally new covenant. God isn't just kind of reforming what existed before. He's completing that covenant and he's ushering something totally new where there, where there is not a condition that we obey in perfect obedience or that we keep some of the old concerns of the old covenant, like sacrifice and ritual. It's a totally different covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we can dive into it here a little bit in verse 10, uh, where it says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Yeah. So it's, uh, 
it is a transforming of the people of God and not just a, a conditioning of the people of God. So they aren't, they aren't just mind, not mindlessly. How do I want to put this? God isn't just giving them rules and rituals and, and customs to follow. He is actually transforming the way they see and understand him and relate to him. And it, it kind of opens up the spectrum of who can know and understand God's word. Because if you think about it, Moses relayed the covenant to Israel and then he gave, God gave the people of Israel throughout their history, certain men and women that help make God's truth clear to them. So that's kind of the role of prophets or you see the great authors of scripture like David, they, they make the truths of God more clear to people. But God is saying, now I'm going to put my law into their minds and I'm going to write on their hearts. He's going to speak directly into us through this intercessor who's in heaven, who has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So God speaks directly to us. There's, there's now just one mediator for the rest of our history, for eternity, and we can more fully better understand God. So it, it opens up God's word to be understood and cherished and nourished in us. Yeah, like how cool, I, like we can understand the word of God because what a, what a great gift that is. And I just have been visualizing this kind of idea of like, I'll put my laws into their mind, right in their hearts. I kind of see like I'm thinking about the fruits of the spirit and just this idea that God is planting this in us and gardening us and growing us and watering us so that we may kind of mature in that faith, actually grow and experience that transformation that God has. He's the one doing all of that hard work. We get to kind of follow in line with what he has. Uh, and so I just kind of see that that imagery, uh, uh, imagery of kind of that sanctification of God working in us and, and through us by his Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I like I like the imagery that kind of came to mind for me was the old laws, the Ten Commandments were written on stone tablets, right? And now mm -hmm. this new law to love God and believe in the one he sent is written on our heart instead of a tablet of stone. It's written on the softness of our heart. It's just kind of, you have to imagine that that was an intentional Oh, absolutely. Language there. Yeah. And that's like, that's like Ezekiel when it says like, I'll take your heart of stone and give you, give you a heart of flesh like that. That's such an yep. intimate, beautiful, Oh, Jeff, I love that. That's great. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything more I want to add to that. Maybe verse 11. Yeah. Do we want to do 11 and 12 together? Yep. Cool. Uh, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Yeah, so we can all know the truths of Scripture. And I want to make something clear. There's Obviously, I have a theological degree, and I'm working towards another theological degree. Jack has a theological degree in training. It's not to negate the importance of those things. There are people that are called to be teachers and that their job would be to preach and teach the word of God. This is saying that, that that responsibility is now shared by all of us. That gift is shared by all of us. And we have this freedom to access God's word whenever we want something that the people of Israel never had. They didn't have that much freedom. They didn't have the ability to pick up a book like this and read God's word whenever they want. They, they had to go to the synagogue typically to hear God's word, especially because you think about the way in which the things were written down, it would have been tremendously expensive for anyone, for any of the typical 
people of Israel to have written out manuscripts of God's word. So we have a new kind of freedom and a new ability to read, access, inwardly digest God's word and a new power to do that, which is the Holy Spirit. So it's a, tif- it's a totally different way of interacting with God's word that the people of Israel's history never had. Yeah. And it's such a cool thing. I mean, all the ways that we can access God's word today. Uh, And I mean, there's been so many people that throughout the years have spent so many hours and so diligently translating the Bible into all languages. So people can read it kind of in their, their native uh, language. And so they don't have to learn a new one to figure it out or have somebody teach it. We want our, so many people work so hard to keep this accessibility out there and there's ways to support those efforts because they are still working to translate it and make it more available to new people. But I mean, for us, we got, I mean, think about our phones, just the so much access we get, not only to just having the Bible there, you think about just the commentaries and podcasts and uh, there's so much good teaching out there. There's so many things sharing the truth of God's word for us to dive in, even in this time with COVID-19 of just being able to still being able to worship and hear the teaching um, through that. Like it, it is so available that God has given all uh, of, of these tools for us to uh, enjoy. Yeah. And I think one of the important points that we can take away from a text like this is our responsibility in the gospel. We, we have been given, and that's really part of the ascension story is the angels say, Hey, why are you still staring up into heaven? The implication is a few verses before that Jesus tells them, Hey, you got a job to do. I'm ascending into heaven and I'm sending you out as my witnesses. You're not going alone. You're going with power and you're going with power from on high. And so we all have a shared responsibility in preaching, teaching, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. But I think sometimes we relegate that to, or we, we pass off that responsibility to people we think are more qualified. And that's just not, that's really not the example set in the New Testament at all. It was, it was a shared experience of, like, I still find myself learning about God's word through people who don't have theological degrees. I, I learn from people in the congregation who read and understand God's word differently than me. They have different experiences. So their testimony is important to my growth in the same way that maybe something once in a while Jack and I say on this podcast might be important to your growth. So we, we have a responsibility to the rest of the church and as called as a called priesthood of all believers to share the gospel of Christ. It's not just for the religious elite or the educated. The gospel is for all people and it's to be shared by all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that same access, the Holy Spirit that works through us is working through you as well. And uh, what a great thing. It, it's it's God that is doing that heavy lifting. And uh, I encourage you, if this, that's something that really is getting you interested, there's a, a great uh, book and resource that you can look up. It's, it's the Dwelling, what is it, 114 Ministries and the Joining Jesus on His Mission. Uh, is is just such a great book and it really will kind of highlight how God works through all of us and and where we already are at in our lives and just kind of wants to change that perspective much like the author of Hebrews here wants to change the, the reader's perspective on Jesus and their calling and the significance of that uh, we can be opened up to it and it's it's kind of wild because I mean we think about this access we have the God of the universe who has limitless power creativity wisdom. 
He actually made us, knows everything about us. He made this world, knows how this world operates, not only physically, but also relationally and all that. So you have the greatest source of all time. The kind of person that any journalist, any book writer, any up and comer would want as their professor would want to get an interview with them, would try to do any sort of thing to get a hold of them to figure out what they know so they can take just a little bit of it and apply it to themselves. God gave us his word, this Bible is this beautiful gift for us to have where he has spent, he is like the things I need you to know, I've gone ahead and written those things down. There'll be other lessons that you'll learn through life and experience and, and by my spirit. These ones I wrote down because I really want you to know. Like he gives it as a gift. So Jeff, why do you think it could be such a challenge uh, for us? Because it's been a challenge in my walk, in my faith life, to be uh, devoted to the scriptures. How does that challenge come in? If God has given it to us, it's a gift. It, it's, it's freely there. Where does that challenge come in? Well, I think like uh, using Old Testament language, a hardening of the heart is kind of a, a natural mm, impediment that occurs with all of God's people. We, we have a tendency to become apathetic towards good things that are constantly presented to us. And I, I think about um, my wife, and she probably wouldn't like that I'm using her as an example right now, but when my wife first got her wedding ring, it was the coolest thing, her engagement ring, it was the coolest thing in the world to her. I, you know, I, I spent a good amount of money on it because I wanted to buy something special that represented our lifelong bond and commitment to each other. And so when she would drive in the car, the sunlight would reflect off the diamond and she would get distracted by it. It was, it was the coolest thing that she had ever seen. And she was so excited about it and so thrilled by it. And she would constantly tell me how much she loved it. But as time has gone on and we've been married now for two years coming up in like 10 days, she doesn't really notice the ring as much on her finger anymore. It's, it hasn't lost really any value. It's still, uh, you know, an important symbol. It's important to her. If something were to happen to that ring, she would be devastated. But we have a tendency to see good things, to be surrounded by good things all the time. And, and we start to lose a value and appreciation for the things that we have in the same way that my wife probably doesn't think about the ring on her finger as much as when she first got it. So I think we treat God's word like that. We have it with us all the time. We can access it whenever we want. And it's such a good thing that we've gotten used to having it with us. Yeah. And, and it's kind of interesting that you bring up that example of your wife's wedding ring, because I was actually the other day, I was out uh, by the water uh, and uh, I was reaching for something and my wedding ring actually happened to get knocked off. And so it went from this thing that's just kind of on my finger. It's there. It's nice. Kind of as Jeff mentioned. And then suddenly in an instant, when I thought I lost it, nothing else mattered. Uh, yeah. I just was kind of looking around, searching for it with all my might, wanting to find it. And then thankfully, when I did able to put it back on my finger, the kind of the relief that it brought finding it. And I think that can, that can happen for us too, and in, in the best possible ways. I mean, if, if being in God's word has not been something that's been consistent for you, uh, there are ways to kind of have that moment where we realize, oh my gosh, I'm missing out on this. And Proverbs 2 puts it in a beautiful way where it's, it, it's kind of informing you. It's in 2 verse 4 where it's informing you to, to kind of seek God's word like silver or hidden treasure, like that wedding ring, like that important thing. And because it's God's word will transform us. It will, it will be that valuable to our marriages, will be that valuable to our friendships, to our businesses, to our kids, to the, the people we live next to, the people that are hungry and hurting. Like it is the most valuable kind of resource we have in that way. And uh, it, it is 
kind of rediscovering it uh, is, is such a beautiful gift and to maybe have a couple people that keep you accountable to, to challenging you. Hey, have you been doing this? And, and there are so many great tools to start building that habit. Uh, and, and I know for me, I kept thinking in my life when I was in high school, I was like, I would go to church and whatnot, read the Bible. And I was like, you know what, when I get to college and I start studying theology type stuff, well, my, my personal Bible habit will just come in. And I kept finding that it didn't, I would read it for class, would go to church. I was around the Bible, but my like personal time with God wasn't really happening. And then I moved to, to Florida and I was like, you know what, I'm going to be working for a church. It's just going to be happen so easily. And then quickly I found out that yeah. I was like, my circumstances change, but, 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 but it hasn't. And then thankfully I, I had some great things and it's, it's been a part of my life for a few years now and in more serious ways. And it's been such a gift, but it didn't just happen. It took that intentionality and Proverbs really talks about that where it's like the wisdom in, in God's word is available it does take that discipline, that effort, that intentionality uh, to enjoy it. Yep. And I think we need help to stay in God's word. And that's why it's good to have friends that challenge you to be in God's word, that if you are not showing up to Bible study or if you've kind of uh, fallen off the wagon, they, they pick you back up, they dust you off, they kick you in the butt and tell you to get back to it. Because I think we, I think apathy is perhaps the biggest danger to the church at large, that we would just totally forget or become numb to the goodness of God's grace. And so we stop talking about it. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think throughout history, you can see the problems that arise when the church starts to become about anything other than God's word. And so my challenge to everyone is to be people that are informed totally by God's word its meaning for their life and its direction for your life and, and allow God to speak into you every day. If you're not giving yourself that chance, then you're depriving yourself of a precious gift. Why would you take that away from yourself? The mm-hmm. God of the universe wants to speak to you. You should listen. So yeah. be in your Bible, be in your Bible every day. Don't, don't take it for granted a single day because the more you build that muscle, the more you'll start to realize the fruitfulness of that training. Yeah. And, and how cool it is again, because th- thank you for listening. And, and hopefully this has been a blessing to you. But the reason why we also mentioned, like, we hope you're reading the scriptures alongside of us is so that you can directly see that what we are trying to do is we are trying to, uh, as best as we can, share the scriptures. This is not Jack and Jeff's random thoughts. That's a funny podcast, but that's not a helpful podcast. Right. Uh, and so we're really trying to teach the scriptures. So as you're in the, in the word yourself, the devil loves to be tricky in so many avenues, but if you just familiarize yourself with the truth, those lies, those fake things just all are exposed for what they are. Uh, and so we can, we have that access. So let's be the be people that uh, enjoy and utilize that. And as Jeff mentioned, share the insights you're learning with a family member, a friend, whoever you're around, uh, yep. because they'll need to hear it too. And test scripture against scripture. If you read something and, your, your consciousness is uh, afflicted by something you read and, and you feel like the devil is whispering in your ear, test scripture against the rest of scripture. If it doesn't hold up, then you know that the devil is lying into your ear and, and you can further find out the, the truth and the beauty of God's word. So scripture has a really good way, as we see, as we're reading through Hebrews, of testifying to the rest of scripture. It doesn't contradict itself. Mm -hmm. And I think a great example of that is even just verse 11 that we just read where it says, and they now they'll not teach each one his neighbor and each one 
his brother saying, know the Lord, for they all know. It's not saying don't talk about Jesus, don't share Jesus. But if you were to only read that and allow the devil to work, it could kind of twist you up a little bit. And so you read the rest of scripture and then you're like, oh, no, I have a more full understanding of what this picture is. Uh, it right. really likes to help itself there. And uh, So let's go ahead and, and read a little bit more scripture here as we finish uh, chapter 8. And this is verse 13 where it says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I don't know if I have really much to add to verse 13. Uh, Christ has come and he is so much better than anything else we could dream up or anything that has existed before. So why turn to things that can't give you what Christ can give you? It doesn't make sense. It's like using a VCR in 2020. It doesn't make any sense. Just stream. Yeah, exactly. Um, well said. And again, anyone in, in Christ is a new creation. Like it, it is it from a death to life. Like it is that big of a transformation. It's not like a slight change. This one's blue. This one's red. No, it is a complete new thing that Christ does. Yep. Love it. Very good. Well, awesome. Thank you everybody for joining us here in, in chapter eight of the book of Hebrews. Uh, we will continue with our series next week. I, I hope you guys have enjoyed the Ascension day uh, and can find in, that God is speaking to you each day through his word. So until next time, God bless. God bless you.